0: reading this morning from Matthew chapter 18 beginning with verse 21. Then Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times. Therefore the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and payments to be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, have patience with me. I will pay you everything, and out of pity for him, The master of the servant released him and forgave him the debt. But when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a 100 denarii. And he seized him. He began to choke him, saying, pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me, and I will pay you. He refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed, and they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, you wicked servant, I forgave you all the debt because you pleaded with me. And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in his anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt so also will my heavenly Father do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Welcome to Desert Breeze Community Church. I will praise you in this storm. Sound like a storm. Good to have you with us. Welcome to Desert Breeze Community Church. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to Matthew chapter 18. We're looking at verses 21 through 35. Those are the verses that were just read. Wholeness in a broken world is our current teaching series. We're going to talk about forgiveness this morning. Forgiveness. We live in a very broken world filled with sin and suffering. And none of us are exempt. So it comes down to how are we going to respond? How are we going to respond to this brokenness? Push me just a tad more, if you would, please. So you only have two choices. Would you guys agree with me that they, these are pretty crazy times? Just a tad. A whole lot. So let me ask you: How are you responding to these crazy times? As you get older, are you getting are you getting better? Or are you becoming more bitter? I mean, how does the economy and politics and relationships and all of that? Uh, how is that affecting you? How are you responding to that? You really, I have two choices. So all of us experience are experiencing this brokenness, and brokenness has to do with our, the sins we've committed and the sins that have been committed against us. So how do you respond to that? And you can see there the chart on your notes we've been looking at last uh, two weeks. This is the third week. We've got one more week we'll be looking at this. And it's really kind of the process of how we can find wholeness in a broken world. So you got the high road, low road. High road is truth, forgiveness, love, which leads to healthy relationships, life, and freedom. Now, you remember last week I, I talked to you and encouraged you to begin to be more, become more conscientious about those triggers in your life. You guys remember last weekend's message, those triggers? Were you more conscientious? Show of hands. A few of you. Okay. Let's see, about six of us. Okay. Let's go ahead and... Re- Let's let me reteach that one, okay? I got the notes right here. We'll just gonna No. I think that it, it takes a while to kind of really understand that those triggers in our life, what it does is someone says something, does something, or you know, whatever it might be, and it triggers something inside of you. They they push your button, so to speak. They push your button, and then you have these negative and, and even painful thoughts and emotions. And the tendency is fight or flight or to condemn them and try to push them away, I shouldn't be thinking like that, I shouldn't be feeling like that, but actually what they're doing is they're telling you really important information about your soul, how your soul needs care. There's something inside of you that's broken and it's crying out to be addressed and to be dealt with. So in that brokenness, as we, as we have those triggers in our life, we identify them. We follow them back to their origin. And at their origin, there will be two things. There will be sins that we've committed and sins that have been committed against us that creates that brokenness. And so that takes us to the forgiveness. So brokenness, truth, truth about God, truth about what he's done for us, truth about who we are in him. And that should lead to receiving his forgiveness and then giving that forgiveness to others, which leads to love healthy relationships and life and freedom. And then the low road are based on lies, lies about God, lies about ourselves, unforgiveness, bitterness, broken relationships, death, and bondage. Take a look at your sermon notes here, kind of the thesis statement here to our study this, this morning is that brokenness can lead to bitterness when we allow the wound to be filled with the poison of lies and unforgiveness. You can add lies to that because that's kind of the sequence. Lies and unforgiveness. Let me say that again just to make sure you get that. Brokenness can lead to bitterness when we allow the wound our woundedness to be filled with the poison of lies and unforgiveness. So this is what really the, what the Bible teaches us is that forgiven. People will be forgiving people. If you're not a forgiving person, it's because you're not living in the reality of his forgiveness of you. And and in fact, in the Lord's Prayer, which is a beautiful prayer of of wholeness, you want wholeness in a broken world, learn how to pray that prayer and learn the implications of each point in that prayer. But particularly, there's a section in that prayer that really helps us with our brokenness where he says, and forgive us of our sins, pray like this, and forgive us of our sins as we forgive those that have sinned against us. Imagine if you did that daily. You would begin to to take care of the, the junk that kind of piles up in our life, all the brokenness and all the woundedness, which, by the way, it accumulates over time, and that's why people in time become not more loving, but they become more and more bitter and, and, and that would be evidence, is it, it, what road you're on. And, and if you're really processing the, the hits you're taking in life, you're going to take hits. What are you going to do about them? How are you going to respond? And, and, and so Matthew five twelve, forgive us of our sins as we forgive those that have sinned against us. Now, Christians are the most forgiven people in the world, therefore we should be the most forgiving people in the world. So we're looking at this idea of forgiveness here this, this morning, and we're gonna first of all look at what forgiveness is not. You gotta know what it's not before you can know what it is, and so we'll start with the not, what forgiveness is not. It is not a feeling, that's your first fill in the blank. It is not a feeling. You will never feel like forgiving and you don't have to. 2 Corinthians 5, 7, it says we live by faith and not by, what is that? By sight, by feelings. So we are not to feel our way into beliefs, but to believe our way into feelings. I mean, I could teach you a whole message on that. I just haven't been feeling God lately. Have you been in his word, the reality of the truth about who he is and what he's doing in your life? Believe me, your feelings will follow that, that belief. So it starts with beliefs and the feelings follow that. Sometimes they do, sometimes they don't, but you stay in the truth of God's word. And so it is with forgiveness. Forgiveness is not a feeling. It's not excusing. That's the second one on your notes there. It's not excusing. It is not tolerating bad behavior, pretending what someone did was was not so bad. Now, part of the context of our text are the verses that precede this, and we didn't read it because it was quite a lengthy text, but I'm going to read it now. But what he says here, and this is Jesus talking to his disciples, he says in Matthew 18, 15, if your brother sins against you, Go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. Now the tendency when we've been sinned against, we tend to triangulate. Anybody know what I mean by triangulation? Yeah, we, we go to someone else and try to get them on our side. We might go to a number of people and tell them how bad this person is. They did this to me, and then your your friends begin to take up your offense, and yeah, yeah, that's wrong. And the only problem with that is that it's not biblical, it's not the biblical way to deal with it, and and secondly, is that you may go back to your friend and work it out with them that offended you, but your friends don't ever have that chance, and they begin to acquire what is known as secondary bitterness, and they've become, you know, uh, poisoned by what you've said and, and not able to kind of work that out. And so it's a wrong procedure to take when you've been wounded. He actually says, no, you, by yourself, go to them alone. And talk to them about that. Now, the only reason why you might go to a third party is because you're so worked up over this and so damaged by it that you need somebody that's going to be really objective and not necessarily be on your team, but be on the team of God for his glory that you would follow through with what the Bible teaches, and they would encourage you to do that. They're not going to take up your offense, but they're going to encourage you To it in a way that would be God honoring and and help you to find healing so that you can go back to them and respond appropriately. That would be okay. And so it's not excusing, so when you forgive someone, it's not excusing bad behavior. It's never loving to let someone sin against you. We're to forgive from the heart those who do us wrong, yet at the same time insisting on truth and responsibility. True love forgives the most but condones the least. So you're not enabling bad behavior. That's not forgiveness. Here's the third one. Forgiveness is not forgetting. So it's not a feeling. It's not excusing. It's not forgetting. There's a difference between recalling an offense and reliving it. So what you want to do is get to the place where you're so healed up that you can recall an offense, but you're not continuing to relive it, where you have those negative thoughts and emotions, those painful thoughts and emotions just keep coming to the surface when you talk about that person or that event or those circumstances. So there's a major difference between recalling it and reliving it. Philippians 3, 13 through 14, Paul says, One thing I do is forgetting what lies behind and straining toward what lies ahead. The word forgetting, it's not that he, he doesn't remember what's in the past, but, but the past no longer controls him in the present. It doesn't have that controlling influence to where he's reliving the negativity of what people have said or the attacks or the, uh, how people have cursed him in some way or another or even his past sin or the sins committed against him. And so some past hurts really are a warning to us not to get into the same situation. So we, we certainly need to continue to recall them. We shouldn't be reliving them. In fact, they make us wiser to make sure we don't, you know, fall into a bad situation again. Now, in making us wiser, there's a difference between making it, making you wiser versus just kind of eliminating and, and avoiding those kind of relationships at all because I oftentimes will hear people, and there's a lot of people in our community that you would ask if they're going to church. They said, no, and you'd ask them why, and they said, because I was really devastated by the church, or I was really hurt in a church, or I was hurt in a small group. And so, in essence, what they did was that they threw the baby out with the bathwater. They just said, well, if that's how people are, if that's how Christians are, if that's how churches are, if that's how small groups are, I don't want to have anything to do with them. Uh, Wrong response. You're on the low path. You're not on the high road. You're on the low road. And so, it, it. When you get hurt, you don't just avoid all relationships. You become wise. You become wise in your relationship. You begin to establish really good boundaries. You're learning how to speak the truth in love. You become a part of the solution, not the problem. That's important. That's part of it. In fact, relational conflict shouldn't make us... Want to avoid all relationships, but to be wise in all relationships. Proverbs 14, 16, a wise person sees danger and avoids it. And so forgiveness is not a feeling or excusing or forgetting or reconciling. It is not reconciling with the person. That's your next fill in the blank. It only takes one to forgive, but it takes two to reconcile. Let's continue reading in Matthew 18, the context here of our text Matthew 18:15 If your brother sins against you go and tell him his fault between you and him alone If he listens to you you have gained your brother do you hear that So you want to speak in such a way that they that he listens to you so that you can build that bridge of reconciliation so you don't approach them like you're, you're going to grind an axe on their head You know, like you're going to come after them, like you're going to attack them. You're going to let them know, let them have it, because you were really hurt by them. He's not. He's saying you don't approach it like that. So therefore, it's really, really important that you work on the on the forgiveness in your heart, because if if you approach them with any form of animosity or anger, or 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 anything like that, it's it's not it's not healthy. You're not going to be bridge building. You're going to be wedge driving. You're going to be driving a wedge. And so you want to approach them with with love and tenderheartedness and compassion that though they may not agree with you, they cannot deny the fact that you love them, that you are so melt in your mouth sweet towards them See, that w- that would be, that's what he's saying here. You, you really want to be spirit-led. So this is how you know you're spirit-led, even in conflict and difficulties, in good times, bad times, in any kind of times, ugly times, is that, man, you have the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Even in the times that we're living in, you can experience the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. It's not predicated upon circumstances or people or things in our life. It's based on us being filled with the Holy Spirit, living that out in our life. So remember last week we talked about we talked about um, spirit-led self being the fruit of the Spirit but also the eight C's. You guys remember the eight C's? I won't have you raise your hand. Okay. So I don't want to be disappointed here. But uh, look, eight C's. So there's a calmness. So you approach the person that has offended you with a calmness. So you got to Get it out of the sympathetic nervous system and into the parasympathetic nervous system where there's a calmness. You come into calmness because you know when there's not calmness, there's no clarity. How many know that for a fact that when you come into a relationship, somebody's offended you and you're not calm, you're gonna probably say things that you probably shouldn't say, okay? And you're not even thinking clearly about it. So there's a calmness, there's a clarity, and then there's, there's curiosity. You ask questions. You know, tell me a little bit more. What was going on? Did I say something or do something that offended you? And you go to them and say, hey, when you said this, I felt this. But what was going on in your heart? Man, maybe I just didn't understand. Help me to understand that curiosity and compassion. And then there's confidence. There's confidence in your identity in Christ. Listen, if you understood who you are in Jesus Christ, listen, you would be unoffendable. You would be unhumiliated. Did you know that? Does anybody here live there? To where you're unoffended or unhumiliated in, any, in, in the slightest bit? No, 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 none of us live there. So it shows you the depth, the width, the length, the height of his love for us that goes beyond our wildest dreams, and if we could learn to live in the reality of that, we would be unoffendable. That's the confidence that you can have when you come to someone that has offended you. And you become unoffendable, then you, you, then you have courage to speak the truth in love, You have creativity because you want to do whatever you can to build a bridge, try to find out and understand where they're coming from so that there can be connectedness. That was the eight Cs. So that's what's happening here in Matthew 18, 15. Now, in some cases, reconciliation would actually be harmful where the offender doesn't want forgiveness and is unrepentant and untrustworthy. But true forgiveness can forgive even those who are totally unrepentant. You see, through Christ, you have the power to forgive right now, regardless of what anyone else says or does. So, regardless of how they might respond to the, to your circumstances. By the way, it tells us in Romans twelve eighteen it says, uh, "As far as it concerns you, be at peace with everyone." So it's kind of defining here, and what we see through the text is that relationships are a two way street. And it's saying, as far as it concerns you, be at peace with everyone. Take care of your side of the street. You can only take care of your side of the street. You can't take care of their side of the street. So regardless of how they may respond, you can take care of your side of the street. Take care of your side of the street. Take care of your side of the street. Make it easier for reconciliation by your response and how you love them and how you interact with them. And, and, and so regardless of how they may respond, through Christ you have the power to forgive right now regardless of what anyone else says or does. Here's the third thing. So, it's, so forgiveness is not a feeling, excusing, forgiving, or reconciling, nor is it trusting. It doesn't mean you're going to begin trusting this person that has hurt you or offended you. And so trusting can't be demanded, but must be earned over time based on performance. Have you ever had someone say, well, you just have to trust me. You're just going to have to learn to trust me. Well, actually, uh, you can't be demanded to trust anyone because trust has to be earned over time based on the performance of that person that has violated the trust. Now, beware of this, that I've had relationships before where where I had done everything I could to reestablish trust, but it was never enough. And so they were using this lack of trust of me as a form of manipulating me to do the things that they wanted me to do. Because I had done everything I could do to reestablish trust, and yet they were kind of still holding that over my head. And so you got to be aware of that. It's just a, it's a form of manipulation. But trust has to be earned over time based on, on performance. And you got to be willing to, to head in that direction. It's not wise to trust an unrepentant and untrustworthy person. So let's go back to the text, Matthew 18, 15 through 17, because he expounds on it a little bit more. And so if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. But if he does not listen, so if he doesn't listen, what does it say? Take one or two others along with you. Take one or two others along with you so that you can dogpile him and beat the living daylights out of them. Praise God. That's exactly what I was hoping to read in the scripture. No, that's actually not what it says, okay? You were adding to that. Were you putting that over in the column, writing that down as I was talking? I was like, yeah, I like that. No, actually, one or two is arbiters, more as mediators, not necessarily on your team, but to make sure that both of you are held accountable and you're responding according to God's word. So but if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you, that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. Who's the church? That's us, but ultimately there's an authority structure in the church. So it's actually talking about the leaders of the church, the elders, according to First Timothy chapter three, Titus one, and first Peter five. It talks about the authority structure within the church, so bring it to the elders of the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you, that is you that has been offended as a Gentile or tax collector. So what does that mean? How might it relate to him? Well, it's it's just saying you're not going to be able to cozy up to them anymore as a brother, so be cautious. But you need to treat them like an unbeliever who needs to be evangelized. Jesus was a friend of sinners. So it's not just saying, get rid of them out of your life. No, you might want to continue to have some sort of a you know relationship with them. Now, if they continue to be very divisive and defiant towards you, you might have to just disassociate yourself from them. And in fact, as you read further on in the in the text here, Matthew 18, 18 through 20, it actually talks about the authority of the church. So if, so if he is divisive, defiant, he may need to be excommunicated from the church. Titus 3.10, remember what we read last weekend? It says... It, Paul's writing to young Timothy, who's a pastor. He says, "Warn a device a person once and then twice and then have nothing to do with them." So you get the idea of excommunication, disassociation. And it's because we understand God's heart towards discord among the brothers. It's an abomination to God when one brother causes discord among the brothers and sisters in Christ. Anyone that causes discord, they're divisive and defiant. It's an abomination to God, and that's why he's saying you've got to deal with it. And you want to treat them like they don't even know. Obviously, they're acting like people that don't even know God. And, uh, and so forgiveness is, is not a feeling, excusing, forgetting, reconciling, or, or even trusting. So, so what, is, what is forgiveness? We'll spend a little more time on this. So what is forgiveness? Forgiveness is a decision. It is an act of the will based on faith and not feelings to call on God to change my heart. That's your next fill in the blank. So forgiveness is a decision. So so let's go now to our text. And I love this. (laughs) I love Peter. I think he's one of my favorite disciples. Okay, it's because I can relate to Peter. You know, because Peter says some really profound things one moment and the next moment, not so profound, you know, really crazy, like really dumb, okay? And so anybody relate to Peter? Okay. More of you need to raise your hand <laughs> because I've heard the profound things that have come from your mouth and also the very dumb things, okay? And so, I mean, we, we all can fall prey to that, some a little more than others. I'm obviously a little bit more, but you get the idea here that Peter's trying to impress Jesus, because he just talked about, Jesus is instructing them on how to deal with a, a brother that has offended them, and this is the process you need to work through. And so then Peter, Peter raised his hand, Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? And before he gives Jesus a chance to answer, Peter gives the answer. Almost as if he's going to try to impress Jesus. <laughs> I love it. And, he, and, and so Peter goes, as many as seven times. Now, you got to understand the culture here, because in this culture, the rabbis were teaching three times. Three times, three strikes, you're gone. And so you get the idea here as you're kind of reading between the lines a bit that possibly Peter thought, okay, three times, I'm going to double that and add one for good measure. How about seven times? <laughs> what do you think of me now, Jesus? Seven times. <laughs> <laughs> and how does Jesus respond? He levels Peter and everybody else. He goes 77 times. Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times. You know what Jesus is saying? Unlimited. Unlimited forgiveness. You should have a lifestyle of forgiveness. A lifestyle of forgiveness is what he's saying. And then he goes on with that story of this unmerciful servant. Now, as you're making the decision to forgive, and I've done that, I've, in my prayer closet when I've been interacting with God, I've, I've said, God, I forgive them. Help me to work through that, only, only to walk out of there and, and be reminded of that hurt and have that stuff stirring up and still struggling with bitterness. And so if bitterness seems to linger, I must ask, what did I lose that I think I can't live without? What did I lose that I, can, that I think I cannot live without? Because what's happening there, it's a substitute savior, pseudo-savior, counterfeit God that you're dealing with here. Now, I read a story, the story a few years ago from a pastor who had counseled two different women. Both were married with husbands who were poor fathers Both had sons who were beginning to get into trouble in school and with the law, and both of the women were angry at their husbands. So the pastor warned them about bitterness and the importance of forgiveness, and so both women agreed and sought to forgive, agreed and sought to forgive. However, the woman who had the worst husband and the least maturity in Christ was able to forgive. The other woman was not. This puzzled the pastor for months until one day the unforgiving woman blurted out, well, if my son goes down the drain, then my whole life will have been a failure. You hear what she's saying? She had centered her life on her son's happiness and success. That was her identity. She had taken a good thing and turned it into an ultimate thing. She was trying to get from her son and the success of her son what she should have been getting from God. It's a pseudo-savior. It's a counterfeit God. And that's why she was bitter because that was something that she couldn't live without. And so when when we linger in bitterness, it's telling us important information about our soul and the woundedness of our soul that needs to be healed up so that we can recenter our lives on Christ. And so it's a decision but it's also a process. That's the next fill in the blank on your nose. Forgiveness is a decision but it's a process. I need to keep practicing forgiveness every time I see or think of my offender. Every time the offense comes back to mind, it must be forgiven again. So like I said, I can be praying and, and, and make that decision, and at the same time, I go out, someone mentions that person's name, or I see that person, and oh my goodness, those, it's, like, it, it's like that trigger inside of me. I have those negative thoughts and emotions, and so when those come up, I've got to forgive them again, and again, and again, as you continue to, the process of forgiveness Your thinking and feelings will over time be renewed and the hurtful memories will no longer harass you, but it takes time. It's a process and it involves stages of grief. I've got that on your notes. You've gotta learn how to grieve. We're not very good in our culture. We're not good at grieving. We have gotta learn how to grieve those hits and the hurts that we take here in life. And, and what I've found is that the deeper the hurt, the longer the recovery. I mean, there's, there's been wounds that, uh, uh, that I'll talk about here in a little bit of one that it took me about a year to be able to actually begin to forgive the person, and so it was a process that I had to go through and, and continue to work through. The deeper the hurt, the longer the recovery. I mean, look at the difference between a strained muscle versus a broken bone. It takes, the recovery time is different. So the deeper the wound, the longer it takes to recover, here's the stages of grief. This is what's beautiful about being a Christian is that it tells us in 1 Thessalonians 4.13, we all grieve, but everybody grieves, but we as believers do not grieve like the world grieves because why? We have hope, and hope for us is not wishful thinking. It's confident, joyful expectation because in our grief, we know that our God, our Savior, loves us and cares for us and will help walk us through this and bring healing and wholeness to the degree that we will become even out of that woundedness trophies of his wonderful grace so that we can in turn help others in their grief. But we've got to learn to walk through that grief. And he walks through that grief with us. Here's the grief, stages of grief. Starts with denial where we're just shocked. We're shocked that someone said something about us or did something to us or any number of things and that involves uh, denial can involve avoidance or we minimize the pain or we pretend it didn't happen but we got to work beyond that just accept the fact yep that's what happened and then we got to move to anger typically in anger it's fight or flight and and then we condemn it and then when we turn anger inward, it becomes depression. So anger turned inward becomes depression if we don't work through it. So it's not fight or flight, not sympathetic nervous system, but you gotta, you gotta face that anger with faith, with faith, and you've gotta take it to God so that he can reorder those negative thoughts and emotions. I mean, there's a whole book in the Bible about that. It's called Psalms. That's why I love reading Psalms every day. I need a heavy dose of psalms every day to help reorder my negative thoughts and emotions, back to the truth, so that I can receive his forgiveness and be able to give his forgiveness to others. And, and so you allow him to reorder those negative thoughts and emotions, and then, and then there's bargaining. By the way, they don't all have to be in this order. You know, as you work through the grieving process, they might come in different orders or whatever, but you have to still work through each of these. And then there's bargaining, the what ifs and the if onlys. What if I had done this, or if only this would have happened? And those can haunt you the rest of your life. And then eventually you got to get to the place where of just sorrow. You feel it, you validate it, and you know, as it tells us in Psalm 34, 18, that God is close to the brokenhearted and he saves those who are crushed in spirit. Do you hear that? So in your brokenness, listen to me, in your brokenness you have a Savior who will come up alongside of you. In fact, he lives within you as a believer in Christ who will comfort you, who will love you, who will be with you no matter what you're going through. Do you hear what it says? Psalm 34, 18, that God is close to the brokenhearted and he saves those who are crushed in spirit. Well, I, I thought he was close to all believers and saves all believers, yeah, 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 yeah. But I think, I think he's particularly close to those who are broken. God is close to the brokenhearted. He's close to you. And he saves those who are crushed in spirit. What is it saying? It's saying that your Savior can bring healing to your heart. And like I said, and he wants to turn you into a trophy of his grace so that you can be put on display and people can come to you and you can point to him and help them with their brokenness. And so that sorrow, as as you're sorrowful, and then eventually it's acceptance because you, you begin to realize that his power is made perfect in your weakness. And that's why Paul says in 2 Corinthians 12, 9, I will boast all the more gladly in my weakness because when I'm weak, man, his power rests on me. So when I cling to him, when I struggle, I cry out to him, he's there for me, he helps me, he's with me, his power is greater than anything I'm facing, it's beautiful. So part of the process is really trusting God with the process. My wife and I were talking to a friend of ours about a week ago, and he was telling us, and he's in his 50s now, but when he was in his early 20s, his, his mom passed away, and it devastated him. And for five years, he had nightmares about his mom. Until one day, five years later, he just broke down and wept. And what was happening, he was, going, he was actually going through the grieving process. He began to work through that. And as he wept and he cried and he he worked through this process, it was after that he no longer had nightmares. The Lord met him and healed him so that he could continue on in the future. Otherwise that would that was going to linger in his life. He had to grieve that. That's part of the process. We have to we have to work that process. And so forgiveness is a decision, it's a process, and then it's it's this next one, next on your, on your outline. It, it is canceling a debt. It's canceling a debt. You give up the right to hurt the person back. You give up the right to hurt the person back. You stop entertaining fantasies of vengeance in which your perpetrator is tortured or fired from their job or suddenly gains 100 pounds overnight. Anybody have fantasies like that from time to time? I know you do, because I do too. And and so you just you give that up. Listen to what it says in Romans 12, 14 through 15. Romans 12, 14 through 15. Bless those who persecute you. Did I read that right? It said to bless those that persecute you. I'll bless them all right. I'll give them a blessing. Isn't that what it says? No, I bless them, not bless but it's bless them that persecute you. Listen to what it says. Bless those who persecute you, bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice, weep with those that weep. Now, if you got unforgiveness in your heart, you got bitterness, you will rejoice when they weep and you will weep when they rejoice. But he's saying rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. People who harbor bitterness and grudges allow others to re-victimize them whenever they brood over past hurts. Do you understand what's happening when you brood over your past hurts? You're allowing that person to continue to re-victimize you as you continue to relive that event in your life. They still have control over your thoughts and emotions. That's why in f- forgiveness is so important, canceling the debt, letting it go. The offender is in control of the bitter person's emotions. No one is more miserable than the unforgiver. And in, in, in a sense, when you, when you don't cancel the debt, uh, you're playing God, really, because oftentimes we hang on to that debt and we, we want to deliver what they owe us out to them, so playing God is that I know what they deserve, and, and you don't, only God knows that. I know what they deserve, and I would like to generously give to them what they deserve. Praise God, and, and, and that's playing God when we don't cancel the debt. I'll never forget this, it happened about 20 years ago, and I had a fellow brother stab me in the back. It was a horrible event in my life, created turmoil in my family. I struggled deeply with this. I, had, I struggled with unforgiveness towards him. I, I sought him out to reconcile with him, and he totally refused it. Basically gave me the middle finger and said, no, I'm not gonna do that. And, uh, and so I sought counseling so that I could respond appropriately and work through my own unforgiveness because I had a lot of unforgiveness in my heart. And uh, and as I went to this counselor, I, I had the counselor, and the counselor said, well, let me reach out to him see if I can bring you both together. And he rejected the counselor's efforts to try to bring us together. And so I continued to work through the, uh, the unforgiveness of that because I was really fearful of what I might do if I saw him in public because we lived in the same area. And I just thought, oh, Lord, I need, I need help. But right now I'd like to wring his neck, and I don't know how I'm going to respond when I see him out in public, and so I continued to work through this. And, and later on, I sat down with a group of friends and I began to share with them a little bit of how badly hurt I was in this particular situation. When I got finished talking about it, at the end of that, I said, Yeah, and pretty much I'm over most of, you know, I'm, I'm pretty much over all of that. And somebody in the group said, It doesn't sound like it. <laughs> and obviously, they could see the neck veins still popping out of my neck, okay? Like, Arr. Like, I, I was probably talking, like, and this guy did this, and you can't believe it, and I'm pretty much over it. And they go, no, you're not. And it was helpful for me, because I, I had to look in the mirror and go, yeah, you know what, I'm still reliving it, aren't I, the way I'm talking about it. And so I began to work through it, and I finally got to a place where I, I could forgive him, and God took all the poison of that unforgiveness out of my heart and the lies, and, and God really healed me up. Of that, and uh, you guys know that God has a sense of humor, and he, he will test us from time to time to see if, if indeed He has done that deep work within our heart. And and so, what was fascinating about this is that I went to a conference here in the valley. It was quite a big conference; a lot of people there. And I was sitting in the, one of the sessions. It's about five minutes before the session started, and I thought, ah, "I need to go to the bathroom. I don't want to get up in the middle of this." So I went into the men's bathroom, and I was standing at the urinal. There. There was no dividers. And lo and behold, guess who shows up to the, the urinal right neck, Yeah, right there. It was this guy that had offended me, that had hurt me terribly, stabbed me in the back. He was standing at that ur- the urinal right next to me. And, and I knew that, that, you know, that I had, had resolved that, and he would brought healing to my heart because I looked over and I go, hey. And he kind of went, oh, and I said, "How you doing?" I was very gracious, kind, carried on conversation, you know, with him, and, um, and and I knew that my heart had been healed up. Though it did cross, you know, my my thoughts to maybe just turn sideways like this, <laughs> and uh, water his leg there just a little bit, just. To, Hey, you remember what you did to me, man? No, I didn't do that. It just crossed my mind just for a moment, but I didn't. We carried on a little bit of conversation. Later on, I carried on more conversation with this this guy and was very gracious and kind and loving and didn't bring up the past or any of that whatsoever. A few weeks, actually a little time after that, I don't know if it was a few weeks, but a little bit further after that, he sent me a letter of apology. He was deeply, deeply sorry and uh, felt really bad about it. And, and I, I, just, I was thinking of that. He might not have ever sent me a letter of apology if I had responded in any other way other than just being gracious and kind and loving and tenderhearted. And he could see that. And, and, and relationships don't always work out that way. I mean, you can be kind and generous and loving and don't always expect people to respond in like kind. I mean, that's just the way it is. Sometimes they won't because they're, they're on the low road, you're on the high road, you've got to stay on the high road, don't go down on the low road. Got to stay there because that's where healing is and freedom, and forgiveness. And so, it was a good lesson for me. And so, it's canceling a debt, but it's also absorbing the cost yourself. So, it's, so forgiveness is a—it's a decision, it's a process, it's canceling the debt, but it's also absorbing the cost. Most of us all know John three sixteen. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. But do you know 1 John (laughs) 3.16? 1 John 3.16 is beautiful. It's absolutely, absolutely beautiful. Just as beautiful as John 3.16. 1 John 3.16 says, By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us. He laid down his life for us. He canceled the debt. He absorbed the cost. He laid down his life for us so that we, in turn, should lay down our life for our brothers and sisters. When someone has wronged you, it means that they owe you. They are indebted to you. Forgiveness is canceling the debt and refusing to exact the price out of the person in any way. So, instead, you absorb the cost of that debt and pay the price yourself. Now, there are certainly times where restitution is appropriate. My wife, uh, a number of years ago, uh, was held up at gunpoint at the bank she had worked at, and she was pretty shaken by that. And they, they, when they captured the guy, he was in the back of the, the cop car, and they brought her out, and she had to, you know, point him out. Yep, that's the guy. So she was quite rattled by that. And she had to forgive you know, this robber that came in and held her up at gunpoint at the bank, but he still had to pay the debt to society. That's called restitution. So don't confuse those two. There's an appropriate restitution sometimes in some circumstances, but you still have to forgive. And you still, there's, there's, a, there's a level of the, that she had to absorb that debt and, and work through that, and, and, and that was part of it. And what and so as you absorb the cost yourself, what it's doing, it it is you are promising not to bring up the debt to yourself, the offender, or others. Because you've absorbed that debt. Now remember, remember, don't forget this. We serve a man who died for his enemies. He gave his life for his enemies. And while he was on the cross, he cried out, Forgive them, for they know not what they do. Talk about canceling a debt and absorbing the cost. (laughs) And when you live in the reality of that, oh my goodness, of course you're going to be forgiving to others. You're going to be so filled up with all that he's done for you. You will have more than enough overflowing your life to be able to forgive others. And, and be able to cancel the debt, absorb the cost, and move on. Next one is trusting that God will settle the score. Sometimes that keeps people from wanting, really wanting to forgive because, because they think, that person got away with murder. I can't believe that. That really bothers me. No, they didn't. They didn't get away with murder. They're not going to get away with anything. Nobody gets away with anything. No one. No one will get away with anything. Listen to what it says Romans 12, 19 through 21, beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. I mean, he's, he's going he's gonna to balance the book, sell the score, he's going to make things right, believe me, you don't need to do that. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him, if he's thirsty, give him something to drink, for by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Don't become like the evil that is being done to you, but overcome evil with good. You're on the high road. They're on the low road. Don't go back, back down to the low road. Stay on the high road. Overcome that evil with the good. It's interesting when he says, heat burning coals on his head. There's a lot of discussion about what that exactly means, but this is what it, uh, you know, what they're talking about in that culture. Nobody really knows for sure. There's different ideas, but this is what the meaning is: is that blessing them in such a way that it may lead them to shame and repentance, and that's consistent with what Scripture teaches. First Peter three fifteen and seventeen or 15 through 16, 1 Peter 3, 15 through 16, he's, he's telling people that are suffering, he says, behave in such a way in the midst of suffering, in the midst of people accusing you and attacking you and cursing you and coming after you, respond to them in such a way that you have so much hope inside of you and you respond to them in gentleness and respect that those who revile your good behavior will be put to shame is what it says. So how should you respond to your enemies according to what the Bible teaches? This is what you do. You outlast them. You outlove them. You outrejoice them in the Lord. That's what you do. And over time, you pray that God will bring shame upon them and repentance. See, the more you realize what is in store for your offender, the more you will pity them. You know you're beginning to make progress when you find yourself wishing the other person well. You go from, I'd like to pay them back to God. You pay them back to God. I pity them and want the best for them. That's when you know that you've got forgiveness working and you're, you've rid yourself of that, the poison of unforgiveness and bitterness. Here's the last one. Giving what you have received from God. So forgiveness is giving what you have received from God. You can't give what you don't have. That's why I said that that Unforgiving people are showing that they, they have not really re- received the forgiveness from God. And so Matthew 18, 21 through 35 is the parable of the unforgiving servant. And there's three scenes here. So this is what I want us to do. I want us to walk through each of these scenes and just kind of reflect on it so that this, this message really goes deep into our hearts. Scene one, a servant owes his master. This king, a staggering amount of money. He owed 10,000 talents. A talent was a monetary unit worth about 20 years of wages for labor. I mean, this is an incomprehensible amount of money. In this culture, it was $12 million. So it would have taken him 2,725 lifetimes to pay off the debt. That's crazy. Yeah. There's a point here. And so he's unable to pay, obviously. He and his family, his entire family, will be sold into slavery by the king. He falls on his knees before the king, begging for mercy. Moved with compassion, the king forgives his entire debt. That's scene one. Scene two, the forgiven servant finds another servant that owes him a very small amount of money. He owed him a hundred denarii, a day's wage of a laborer, Fifth dollars. You hear the contrast? Jesus is trying to get across it. If you had any idea the debt that God took away from you, that what he took on your behalf, he canceled that debt, he absorbed the cost. If you understood that, the little bit that anybody could ever do to you is nothing in comparison to what he's already done for you. That is Christ Jesus through the cross. I mean, he's making this contrast, $15 as opposed to $12 million in that culture, 2,725 lifetimes to pay off the debt. That's, That's us before God. And he's just saying, whatever anyone ever does to you, and I'm not minimizing the hurt and how devastating it might be to your life. But the Bible is trying to help us to understand more clearly just how amazing God's grace is. And so he begs for a little more time to pay the debt unmoved. The first servant orders the second servant to be thrown in prison. And as I was reading that, I was trying to figure out, no, why would he do that? I mean, he had $12 million debt canceled. And this guy only owes him $15? What is going on with this guy? Short-term memory loss? Gospel amnesia? Actually, it's pride. Pride comes in different forms. One is that I'm too good to need God's forgiveness. So, yeah, he forgave me, but I didn't really need much forgiveness. No, you don't understand Or, I'm too bad to receive God's forgiveness. I've heard people say that. And so, what you're saying is like like your sin is greater than His grace working in your life? That's that's just pride. You you don't understand His grace. Here's another, another evidence of pride. Well, hey, you know what? I know God forgives me. I just can't forgive myself. That's pride. You hear what you're saying? Do you have a higher standard than God? That's insane. The God of the galaxies loves you, adores you, gave his life for you. He laid down his life for you to cancel the debt, absorb the cost, and bring you into the family, make you a child, lavish you with his love. Oh, my goodness. That is out of this world. That is out of this world. And when we're rid of our pride, we go, yes, God, I need every bit of you. Thank you. I give you my life. Scene three, the forgiven servant is summoned before the furious king. The king says, You evil servant, I forgave you that tremendous debt because you pleaded with me. Shouldn't you have mercy on your fellow servant just as I had mercy on you? Now, the last two verses of this chapter are a gut punch. And let him land on you here just for a moment, verse thirty-four. And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers—literally, the Greek word is torturers—until he should pay all of his debt, verse thirty-five. So also, my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. Brokenness can lead to bitterness when we allow the wound to be filled with the poison of lies and unforgiveness. Hebrews 12, 15, says, See to it that no one misses the grace of God and that a bitter root grows up and causes trouble and defiles many. I'm telling you, bitterness will be so toxic in your life and it will grow up and it will defile many. It will poison you and defile many people in your life. You guys have been around people that are extremely bitter. You don't want to be around them. They poison you with their bitterness. That's the culture we live in. Most of the people are on the low road. God has called us to to live on the high road of truth, forgiveness, love. I love 2 Corinthians 8 9. For you know the grace of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ that though, though he was rich, he became poor so that through his poverty we might become rich. If you have $300 to live on and loan your friend $300 and they don't pay you back, that's quite an offense. That's really hurtful. That's a big deal. But if you have $12 million to live on and loan a friend $300 and they don't pay you back, that's pretty much insignificant because of what you have in him. Here's the last point on your notes. The more we contemplate the tremendous debt God forgave us through the cross of Christ, the more we will find the grace we need to forgive others. Forgiven people are forgiving people. Christians are the most forgiven people in the world, therefore we should be the most forgiving people in this world. My wife and I will be up front at the end of the service along with any available um, elders to pray with you. If you want prayer for any particular reason, we would love to pray with you. If you're new here, my wife and I would love the opportunity to meet you this morning. So let's pray. Would you bow your heads with me? Let's pray. So, Father God, we pray, Ephesians 4, 31 and 32, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from us, along with all malice. May that be put away from us, and may we be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave us. Help us to live this out every day of our lives as we pray, Matthew five twelve, forgive us of our sins as we forgive those who have sinned against us, we pray. In Jesus' beautiful and glorious name, and everyone said, amen. Love you guys.